Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hi everyone, and welcome to the Mummy Movie Podcast, where once again we shall be covering The Prince of Egypt from 1998. I should probably just say before we begin, this is the second of two episodes on this film, so it is probably a good idea to listen to the first part first if you, you know, haven't already done so. Basically, in that first episode, I looked over the background information of the film, and then had a look at some of the evidence for the Exodus and the origin of the Hebrew people, as well as having a little look at the origin for the name Moses and its meaning. In this episode, I shall go over the actual historical accuracy of the film and then review it. But before then, once again, it is time for my dramatic intro. Right. You may have been raised in the most powerful family in Egypt, but you were born to slaves. When you find this out, your moral compass seems twisted and the true brutality of the world you live in is revealed to you. As a result, you flee the city and head to the region of Midian. Here, your life takes a surprising turn as not only are you accepted by goat herders, but you actually end up falling in love and marrying one of them. However, your purpose in life is not yet complete. You must head back to Egypt, where you will have a choice between greed and selflessness. You can either return to your old life as a wealthy Egyptian, or you can free your true people. Will you end up as a prophet amongst your true people, or return to being a prince of Egypt.
Okay, we have now arrived at the historical accuracy section. So here, I shall simply go over the film, saying what it gets right and wrong. Let's get started. At the beginning of the film, we see a child version of Ramesses II with a kind of like side-lock hairstyle. Then, when he's grown up, he still has that side-lock. This hairstyle is known as the side-lock of youth. It was typically worn by the pharaoh's children and tended to link them with the sort of child form of the god Horus. Therefore, the older version of him would not have been wearing this. When we first see the grown-up versions of Moses and Ramesses in the film, they are in chariots, racing through the city. First things first, chariots had indeed arrived in Egypt by the reign of Ramesses II. Or, well, I suppose at this point in the film by the reign of Seti I. <laughs> Further, the types shown in the film are being drawn by two horses. This is correct for ancient Egypt. As kind of alluded to a little bit already, in this film, Seti I is portrayed as Ramesses II's father. Once again, this is accurate. Seti I was indeed the father of Ramesses II. Further, as shown in the film, Ramesses II did indeed rule directly after Seti I. Though it is worth noting that in the film, the Hebrew people are already working on the city of Per Ramesses during the reign of Seti I. This city was actually founded by Ramesses II, unsurprising as it's, you know, named after him. So this isn't really accurate. If we are to be extra picky. Both Seti and Ramesses talk about the Egyptian dynasties in this film. Dynasties were not really a concept at this point and would only become a thing about 900 years later when the Ptolemaic priest Manetho came up with the idea. Before this, the idea was that each pharaoh was related to the pharaoh before, stretching right back in history to the very first one. Of course, this isn't how it actually happened, but this is how the Egyptians like to portray it. Moving on to the next point. During this film, we see many examples of camels, and they are very much depicted as domesticated. In fairness, you did get some camels in Egypt at this time, but they were few and far between, and they were most certainly not domesticated. In fact, they would not be domesticated for about another 700 years when the Persians ruled over Egypt. On a more positive note, throughout the film we see many grand and large temples. Even going to Egypt today, as will <laughs> be a surprise to few I guess, these are a common sight. Ramesses II reigned in the 19th dynasty. Interestingly, such large temples first seem to have started developing in the 18th dynasty, and most certainly would have continued in the 19th. To explain this, we need to go right back in Egyptian history, to the beginning of the Old Kingdom. This would roughly take us to about 2700 BC, about 1500 years before the reign of Ramesses II. During the Old Kingdom, the kings of Egypt were at their most powerful. However, as time went on and society became more complex, their power slowly weakened, largely as they had to start relying on other people. As the king's power grew less, other groups in society, such as nomarchs, so governors, 
and the temples became more powerful. And by the New Kingdom, this had led to the actual temples themselves growing in size. In fact, by the 21st dynasty, the Temple of Amon had become so powerful that the High Priest of Amon essentially ruled over the south of the country. So effectively, the incredibly large temples throughout Egypt are there in part because the power of the pharaoh was waning. However, going back to the film, on the downside, the iconography on the walls of these temples is a little bit hit and miss, and often the art style seems reminiscent of the Amarna period. This time period came from roughly about a hundred years before the reign of Ramesses II. During the Amarna period, there was a very controversial pharaoh named Akhenaten, who <laughs> does have a bit of a habit of popping up on this podcast. During the reign of Akhenaten, he tried to get rid of most of the Egyptian gods, and placed the Aten, who was essentially the god who represented the disc of the sun, above all. One very common depiction of the Aten shows the disc of the sun with hands stretching from it towards the royal family. I spotted this piece of iconography in a couple of locations in the film, complete with the particularly gaunt and pretty distinct Amana art style. One little detail in this film that I actually really appreciated can be seen on the many broad collar necklaces that quite a few of the characters wear. On the back of most of these are fairly large pieces of gold. In ancient Egypt, such items would have acted as counterweights to keep the necklace in place. Though realistically, these counterweights would have been more elaborate than the ones shown. Rather than simply being a large slab of gold, they may have been made to look like a particular god or goddess. Another nice little detail here can be seen when the pharaoh chases the Hebrews to the Red Sea. At this point, he is wearing a blue capresh crown. I have spoken about this crown before on the podcast, as it did have a habit of appearing a lot in the Hammer horror films. I kind of got the feeling it was just a prop they had lying around. The other name for the Blue Capresh Crown was the War Crown, and it was worn when the pharaoh went into battle, <laughs> surprisingly. Therefore, Ramesses wearing this when chasing the Hebrews is very appropriate. I think this might actually be the first film I've reviewed that's got the purpose of this crown correct. So, you know, I give the film props for that. On the downside of this scene, however, Ramesses is shown riding alone on his chariot while brandishing a sword. This just is not how chariots worked. Instead, typically, one person would ride the actual chariot, whilst another person would kind of like shoot a bow from it. You wouldn't just charge at the enemy in a chariot sword drawn. That's just a very quick way of getting yourself killed. Instead, you'd shoot a bow whilst kind of, you know, keeping your distance. One final note in this section. During this scene, as already said, we see Ramesses and his army chasing the Hebrews to the Red Sea. As I'm sure most people will be aware, in the story, the sea then rises to allow the Hebrews through. Interestingly... Red Sea is likely a mistranslation in the kind of like English version of the Bible. In Hebrew, it is written Yam Suth. So Yam means sea, Suth means reeds. Together, we get Reed Sea. This is likely a location a bit further north of the Red Sea. It's probably now part of the Suez Canal. 
there are some who argue that the word may be a little bit more metaphorical. It could be linked to another Hebrew word. Rather than suf, it would be sof, meaning to destroy. In this case, it could refer to the army of Ramesses getting destroyed when the waves crashed down on them. However, realistically, even when looking at the geography of Egypt, crossing the Red Sea has never really made sense to me. This is because the Hebrews fled from Per Ramesses, which is in the top eastern corner of Egypt. In order to cross the Red Sea, they would have had to travel about 250 miles south further into Egypt. Why on earth would they do that? It makes absolutely no sense whatsoever. I mean, that's a bit like trying to escape America by travelling into Texas. It just, it just wouldn't work. <laughs> um, it's just much more likely that this was a mistranslation. And okay, fair enough, there's debates for and against, but for me, the evidence does support that. So, overall, the Prince of Egypt is mixed when it comes to historical accuracy. On the downside, it shows camels in Egypt during the reign of Ramesses II, has Per Ramesses being built by Seti I, shows an adult version of Ramesses II with a sidelock of youth, and has some iconography which seems more Amarna in origin. However, on the upside, it also has Ramesses wearing a capresh crown when he goes into battle, has some nice little details like counterweights on the back of larger necklaces, and correctly states that Seti I was the father of Ramesses II. Overall, I would say that Prince of Egypt is not exactly accurate, but it does a better job than most, and there are some nice details along the way. Okay, we have now arrived at the review section, so here I shall simply go over the film, saying what I liked and disliked, and then rate it out of 10. First things first, I will admit I love this kind of late 90s style of animation. I may be biased here as, well, I grew up in this era, but I just find it very pleasing and charming. Further, as stated in the background information section last episode, a lot of work went into the animation of The Parting of the Red Sea. It took 10 animators, two years to complete, and honestly, I do think it was time well spent. It looks spectacular, even today. Further, it is undeniable that there's a lot of iconic songs in this film. Hardly surprising considering the music was performed by Hans Zimmer and Stephen Schwartz. Although there are a lot to pick from, my favourite is probably playing with the big boys during the scene where Moses turns his staff into a snake. I just love the beginning where they go through all of the Egyptian gods really quickly. It's awesome. <laughs> um, further, I very much enjoyed the beginning of this film where we see Moses and Ramesses racing through the city in chariots. Not only is this a just generally fun scene, but it also portrays Moses' character really effectively. In the early parts of this film, not only is Moses portrayed as a bit of a troublemaker, but he also cares very little for the slaves in the city. He basically destroys a lot of their work and is only really worried that he and Ramesses are going to get in trouble. In general, this opening left a lot of room for Moses to grow as a character. He is selfish and uncaring. However, there are little signs that there's a good man lurking beneath the surface. When he finds out that he's descended from slaves, you see his whole attitude shift. Not only is this very believable, 
but given the way he is portrayed, it fits in well with his character and is almost shown as him sort of growing up as the film progresses. He starts off as young and egotistical, and then due to his life experiences, he becomes humble and caring. You can also see this care and attention going into other characters as well, I'd probably say most notably Ramesses II. As time goes on, Ramesses does not really change that much. He remains selfish and willfully naive. The only time we see him change is when Moses comes back to Egypt to ask him to let his people go. At this point, where throughout the film Moses has become empathetic and humble, Ramesses instead gives in to his anger and becomes more ruthless. It is this anger and ruthlessness that leads to troubled times in Egypt. It is this anger and ruthlessness that leads to the Ten Plagues. Not only was this a really effective way of telling a story, but it also just meant that the chemistry between Moses and Ramesses was absolutely excellent. You could see them kind of like playing off of each other. On top of that, it's just kind of obvious that it was their circumstances that led to the people they would eventually become. But it also does not strip away the idea of free will. Moses could have stayed a prince of Egypt and lived in luxury. He had several opportunities to go back to his old life, but he chose to do what was right instead. Meanwhile, Ramesses had the option to do what was right. He could have released the slaves. But instead, like a true Sith Lord, he allowed his hate to consume him. Darth Sidious would be proud. Not sure why I've suddenly got into Star Wars, but there we are back to the actual film you know <laughs> uh, on top of this there were several just you know little details that I found very pleasing and showed that you know a lot of thought had gone into the film I've already spoken about the counterweights on the back of the necklaces and the fact that Ramesses wears the correct crown when he goes into battle but there are other little things as well for instance when Moses walks out into the Nile and turns it to blood it is noticeable that the area around him remains as water. This is an easy little detail to miss, but it's quite cool for those who notice. On the downside, I do feel there were some underdeveloped characters in this film. The two that jump to mind are Miriam, so Moses' uh, biological sister, and the other one is Zipporah, the wife of Moses. Neither of these were particularly bad characters by any means, and it certainly was not the fault of the voice actors, who both did really good jobs. But they are two characters that I would have liked to have seen more of and, you know, just learn a little bit more about them. In terms of the reviews for this film, I don't think it's going to really surprise anyone that it was well received. Um, on Rotten Tomatoes, it has a critical score of 79%, and on IMDb, it has a score of 7.2 out of 10. To be honest with you, if anything, I'm sort of surprised it's not higher. We are talking about a modern classic after all. When it came to the reviews, in general they praised the portrayal of the Exodus story, as well as the animation and voice acting. The songs, unsurprisingly, are very much applauded, as is the character development. On IMDb, I had to scroll through pages and pages of 9 and 10 out of 10 reviews before I found any that were negative. Eventually, when I thought my goal was futile, I came across a 2 out of 10. This review accused the film of racism and hate, pointing out that Moses only ever sided with those he perceived as his own people. When he was an Egyptian, 
he favoured Egypt. When he found out that he was Hebrew, he turned against Egypt and sided with the Hebrews. I feel that this is a very pessimistic way of viewing this film, and I do also feel that they've missed the point entirely. After all, throughout the film, the Egyptians were slave owners. I mean, <laughs> they were consistently shown as the bad guys. Moses wasn't being racist here. His character was simply growing. He realised that forcing people to work against their will and beating them to an inch of their life may be a tad immoral. If I'm honest, I felt that this was someone willfully missing the point of the film, and I don't really want to waste any more breath on it. The next bad review that I saw just kind of felt that the film was a bit slow and boring. I personally disagree with this, I, I was fully entertained throughout the film, but you know, we all have different preferences and I can, I can respect this argument. For myself, as I've kind of already stated, I believe that this is a modern classic. Not only is this a film from my childhood, but on re-watching it, I felt that it lived up to my original memories. It is a well-crafted tale, with great characters and even better songs. I would give this film an 8 out of 10. Thank you very much for listening. I certainly hope you have enjoyed this episode, and if you have, why not consider liking and subscribing if you haven't already? And join me next time, where we shall be doing something a little bit different. I shall be joined by guest Jake Fleming as we look into an entirely un-Egyptian film and one that is considered one of the worst films ever made, Troll 2 from 1990. I hope you all have a fantastic week and see you then. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.